With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Splendiferous. How are you? I am I am tired. I am tired. I am worn out, but I am here, and that's all that really matters. So, today, uh, we have a question from Fabio on Discord. Hi, chaps. Saw this on Twitter, and I thought of you guys. How would your team look? So... It is a non-Big Six 11. So we've decided to put our own little spin on this, and we're going to do a non-Big Six 11 based on the season so far, picking only one player per non-Big Six club. So there will be no players from Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, or Chelsea. Um, we are working with the other seventeen, the other 14 uh, I can tell you ahead of time, there will be no Luton player in my team. <laughs> <laughs> there just, just will be no. There's probably no Everton player in my team either. Um, so we've done a sum total of zero prep for this uh, because I've been out of action the last couple of days. So, uh, Mr. Matchett, how do you want to proceed with this? Do you want to go position by position? Do you want to just go team by team? I reckon we have absolutely no flow, no cohesion, no anything at all to this because, as you say, we're doing it on the fly and we go by the best player you can think of, fill that position and work around that. Okay. Okay, perfect. Well, I will start off then. I'm going to pick Lucas Paqueta, who has very much impressed me for West Ham. Right. has stepped up massively in the absence of Declan Rice and proven that he is the midfielder at West Ham that was really worth the big money. Right. I'm going to leave you in charge of pen and paper and he can play our number 10 role then. I am going to say we go with maybe one of the most informed players in the Premier League at the back end of last season, let's say two months and certainly the first month of this season, he's been in great form as well. I'll go with everybody's favourite dribbler, Karim Toma. I love that pick. I, we're picking one team between the two of us, aren't we? Yeah, I can't pick another West Ham. You can't pick another Brighton. Perfect. Well, 
I think I will go with then another player who was in good form towards the end of last season has started this season in electric form, scored one of the best goals of the season already this year with a gorgeous little cushion turn and finish to complete the three behind the striker, Brian Mbomo of Brentford. Very nice. That's a that's a potent looking three behind whichever striker we deem lucky enough to start for this team. It does also mean we need a fairly decent platform in midfield because you and I are fond of, of reality, as you know. That's why we yes. make, make believe teams. So we will we will try and keep some semblance of balance. Um Maybe, maybe this would be like one of the last seasons we can really include this club outside of Big Six conversations, and probably they shouldn't be even in this year's one, but that's what it is. Big Six remains the Big Six from yesteryear. So we'll go from Newcastle now, and I will stick in Bruno Guimaraes as one of our sixes. Double pivots. Without doubt. Without doubt. And next to Bruno then... Um. It's a shame we can only pick one West Ham because he only had, I think, two appearances, but Al- uh, Alvarez has looked unbelievably good so far. But you know what? We'll go to Fulham, a player who it looked like was going to leave, has has actually missed two of their games so far, but been monstrous in the other two. We'll go Joe Polina, uh, who's just signed a new contract. And just as a quick aside, Carl, on this Joe Polina extension, which came out of nowhere, do you think that's the kind of extension that comes with a, a buyout clause that's lower than they were asking for this summer, but ensures that he stays until next summer? I would imagine so. Gives them an extra year, gives them a, a guarantee that he's not going to be angling for one a few months later. Gives him a big pay rise to, you know, compensation of remaining in, in Fulham rather than Munich. Um, it's a terrible thing that he has to stay living in London, isn't it? Oh, it's dismal. I mean, who would want to do that? Um, yeah, look, I've, I think it's it's become fairly commonplace now. Even you look at Alexis McAllister last year, um, whether it would be mm. quite that low for this buyout clause, I don't know. But if a player has the certainty that they can leave in a year, then you know it's only a season. Plenty of people will knuckle down, have themselves a good year, and then get ready for next year. My sources tell me that Jörg Schmatke is currently begging to be allowed to stay till next summer because now there's a deal he can pull off. Um, right, you're, you're up next. Where are we going next? We are going to World Cup winning goalkeeper Emmy Martinez from Aston Villa. I think that's probably the best we can get for uh, goalkeepers. Great shout. For my money, he's the second best keeper in the league after Alisson, so I think that's a great shout. Um, we'll have to start putting something resembling a defence in place. Mm. So I'll go left back and I'll go with Rayan Aitnuri, who's been one of the few bright spots in a Wolves team that are fairly, fairly poor. <laughs> yeah, he's had a really good start. I think we made the point a few times last season that he should have been in the team, to be perfectly fair. Mm. Um, he obviously wasn't fancied by Lobadie for whatever reason. I think that was a, a grieve mistake in both halves of the pitch, to be perfectly honest. He's very, very aggressive, gets forward really well. His, his technical level's off the charts and always has been. Um, I think that's a very solid pick for us. I think 
we can continue at centre back next. Uh, really good start to the season, actually, and played very well for England the other night well, in the first half before he got injured. I think Mark Gehe is a pretty solid pick to take from Crystal Palace. Yeah, I think that's a great show. Um, all right, so we've got Villa, Palace, Wolves, Fulham, Newcastle, Brentford, West Ham, and Brighton off the board. That means you've still got Luton available. Oh, oh, and they will stay available, don't you worry. Um, We need right-back, centre-back, and striker. Now, this is difficult. I'm very tempted, Guy. I'm very tempted to just grab our... Do you know what I am? I'm just going to grab our number nine, Carl. Paqueta is used to playing with Mikel Antonio. That's a pairing that has worked for them quite well. So I'm going to go for an approximation of him, a player with a much higher ceiling than him, a player who started the season very well, Teo Awanee of Nottingham Forest. Very nice. Yeah, I, I always liked Awanee. He's not elite, but he's a good forward He's always had, I think, really good movement. Is willing to work, run works his arse off. Yeah, he does, and he, and he's a decent finisher as well. To be honest, mm. he showed in Germany for sort of two years, and in Belgium before that, he's a he's a very good finisher. So, I'm pretty happy that finally we get uh, a one in a team that we want to see because we didn't before, did we? Hmm. No, um, and it's always annoyed me that when yeah. he finally got his work permit, we decided <laughs> that was the time to sell. Yeah, it was not not the ideal time and not a very good decision in my opinion. But there we go. Especially since the alternative was keeping Origi rather than selling him and then losing him for free instead. Exactly. Anyway, on we go. Um, you excluded Everton from it at the start of this. I thought there was one or two that we could have potentially taken. I still think there's one we could potentially take in the positions we've got left. But I'm going to go for someone who I think has had a, a decent start to the season indeed. Uh, Bournemouth centre-back Kelia Zabani we've been waiting for him to get a sustained yeah. run he got the last few games of last season and he's straight into uh, Andoni Raula's team this year I think he's made a really good start and I look forward to seeing how much consistency he can keep because he's young we know that we'll get some mistakes from him and obviously he will be exposed a bit because it's Bournemouth and they're not absolutely at the top level but this is a good side I think he's one of their cornerstones that can be there for a couple of seasons uh, I've been very impressed by his both timing, his positioning, and also his reading of the game this season so far. Yeah, I think that's a very good pick. And that's actually who I was going to go with until Guy put the Awani seed in my brain. Um, right, so we need a right back. And we're down to Everton, Luton, Burnley, and Sheffield United. So the literal bottom four. The literal bottom four. Um I am just fundamentally opposed to picking George Baldock. <laughs> um, I just, I can't be dealing with him. He's, he's never been any more than a championship level player. Issa Kabore has been okay in a Fulham, and a Luton team rather that looks out of their depth. Nathan Patterson. I mean, I'm not... He's a he's a talented young player. I do like him, but I want to see I want to see him step up a level, especially defensively. Um, 
Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. And Burnley, if I'm not mistaken, have played two or three different. Conor Roberts has played a couple of games Roberts, there. Yeah. I can't go with Conor Roberts. Do you know what? I'm just going to go with Nathan Patterson. I'm just going to take the upside pick. I mean, I, I, I thought there were a couple of forwards that we could have gone and Nottingham Forest obviously have 17 fullbacks that we could have picked from, but you opted against that and went for the Tywo, which is a absolutely... Well, which forward is there? Which forward is there? Like Solanke would have been the forward, Solanke, maybe. Solanke was the other one, yeah. But then that changes who we pick at centre-back and none of those teams have looked particularly good defensively. No. Ahmed Hodzic, maybe. Jared Branthwaite, I've been actually pretty impressed with uh, for a young player making his first steps into the Premier League. The Burnley centre-backs have conceded 11 goals. You, you just can't pick them based on form. I mean, we could have gone with Beto for being anything more than 6 out of 10 in one match. True, true. But I, 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 think, I think we've done all right here, to be fair. Yeah, I do as well. I think this is a decent team that, that actually on paper makes a lot of sense as well. So we've got Emmy Martinez in goal, Nathan Patterson, Ilya Zerbani, Mark Wehi, and Ray Nate Nuri. Then we sit Joe Polina and Bruno Gomerich in front of them. So we're going to be really solid enough defensively with attacking fullbacks, which is needed to overlap our inverted wingers who are going to come in fields in Mbomo and Matoma. And then we've got Piquetta behind Iwani. I think that's a solid team. I think that's easily a top half team. Yeah, I think that's pretty good. I think that's a good table team for sure. Actually a team that could crash into seventh and and nab a conference league spot, in which case we'll be sacking you to appoint Unai Emery. Um, Because, you know, just for a one-year contract as well. If he gets us into Europa, then we have to keep him. So we can win um, that too. Uh, only, only other thing I'll offer you because you absolutely love an out-of-position player is um, you could scrap Nathan Patterson. You could bring in whoever Mikel Arteta understudy is as under as Arteta was to Pep. And uh, you can play uh, Amadou Anana right back driving into midfield just for the hell of it. I do love and Amadou Anana. Because, and just because he's Everton's best player. He is Everton's best player by a considerable margin. Um, and he, to be fair, he's, he's he's been one of the few that have actually, you know, looked to give a shit this season. Um, yeah, I, I think that's our team. I think, we've done I think right, that's eh? our team. Yeah. We do have another question on Discord from Isaac, but it's one of those that's going to take us a full podcast to do and we'll need uh, a little bit of preparation in advance. So we'll do that. Maybe the next international break, which is in October, I think. Yep. Sounds good. So we'll do that then, unless we find the time 
between now and then, which is unlikely considering there's going to be Europa League games and there's, or yeah, Europa League games and obviously Premier League games. And on the topic of Europa League, Carl, can, the- can I, can I, just before you, you oh, dive headfirst into the actual plan that I gave you, admittedly, yeah, um, can I, can I rip up my own plan? Just because we've had another question come in while we're talking at the minute. Of course. Two questions, in fact. One of them we, we sh- I think we should be able to answer very quickly. So this this one's from Matt JT on Discord. Uh, how would the plan for buying Salah's replacement or replacements change if, hypothetically, he was sold in January instead of next summer? So if they decided to sell in January but not truly replace him with the, like the literal replacement in the eleven until the summer, what would be the plan for the rest of the season? So I'll, I'll pass it over to you, but I think my answer is really, really quick here. We'd do nothing, and we'd play the five that we have. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I do think I would agree with that. Um, I think I'd, I'd maybe look to play a four-two-three-one type of shape with Gakpo behind Darwin, Dominic from the right, maybe, and Diaz from the left. I think that would be what I would do for the remainder of the season. Um, yeah, I think it, I, you could stay 4-3-3-ish and play... Gakpo from the left, Diaz from the right, and uh, Darwin through the middle, and then have Jota sort of as the primary backup to all three. It's not the worst group of forwards in the world. You'd still have young Ben Doak to come in. I'm not suggesting in any way that Ben Doak is, is a salary replacement. And those who have done podcasts suggesting we can internally replace Salah should just Stop doing podcasts. There is no internally replacing Salah. There's also no replacing Salah. All you can look to do is replicate him, recreate him in the aggregate, find ways to get his goals from one player and his assists from somewhere else. That's the only way to do it. Now, his goals, much of that burden could pass to Darwin. The team could be reconfigured around Darwin as the primary nine maybe with Dominic as a 10. I think there's enough goals and creativity there. Then you're looking to upgrade the wing spots or at least one of them with more creativity, which is where I would be throwing money at Napoli for Quiche. Um But yeah, I agree. I, I wouldn't do anything in January. I, I if, he, if, he, if he does go, if that is the case... Um, if that is the case, then yeah, I, I would look to move Dominic maybe into more of a forward role, which considering we have Curtis and Gravenberg and Harvey and, and Alexis and Thiago, we, we could get away with moving uh, Dominic further forward mm-hmm. and still have a, a strong midfield group. Yeah, So that's probably what I would do is, is move Dominic forward. So it is a, a rearranging for a few months, basically. And yeah. More, more minutes for elsewhere, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically. I mean, the big the big issue if we were to sell Salah, like, I still think we'd get top four. 
I don't think we can win the league regardless. But I think we, we're going to get top four. And I think we could get top four even without Mo. Yeah. As long as we had a good enough first half of the season with Mo. So the only yeah, thing I think it would change is that I don't think we'd win the Europa League. But even then, I mean, if you look at who's in it, unless somebody really strong drops in out of the Champions League, which probably isn't all that likely, unless unless Newcastle dropped in, and even then I think we could beat them without Mo. Um, this this is really like a similar sort of situation we'll face if he gets injured for a while. We, you know, we won't go Yeah, but he's going to AFCON anyway, isn't he? Yeah, 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 he is, yeah. So... We will, uh, we will, we will watch what happens. But we expect that that would be exactly what happens, regardless of the reason for his injury. To be honest, um, similar type of question for the second one, which is in from uh, Tom Rowe, um, but this one's off pitch. So, if Klopp were to leave for the Germany job, whenever that might be done over the next, let's say, probably, probably before the next international break, you would imagine. Um, if FSG decide to wait for his longer-term successor because they're not available into the summer, who would you pick to see us through to the end of the season? Now, he does also add, same question, but what if the successor wasn't available till summer 25? But if that was the case, I would say that's not a successor, and either you go and get them out of their job that they're in currently, or you move on because you don't wait 20 months for a new manager to come in. You can go through a whole replacement team in that time. for some. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, To be be completely honest... If if Jurgen announced tomorrow that he was leaving, and he was leaving to take the Germany job, I um, and we were looking for someone just to see us till the end of the season. Let's just say the plan was De Zerbi or Ruben Amram, and they were both in the position where they said, "Look, we have buyouts in our contracts, but they don't become active till the summer," which I believe is the case with with both of them. Um, I'd actually go for the guy that's just been sacked by Germany. I'd go for Hansi Flick. He's available. I think he's the best manager on the market. I think he's a better manager than Nagelsmann. And I don't think Nagelsmann would take a short-term job, but Hansi might, just to wipe the stink of, of the German job off him. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, like if 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 Klopp left and we, we announced Hansi as the replacement, forgetting it's just for six months, it's for eight months, whatever. If he was just the replacement... I'd be pretty happy with it as long as we had the right structure in place. Because the bigger point for me isn't who the manager is going to be. It's what the structure around them is. Are you going to put them in the best possible environment and the best ecosystem where the noise is taken away from them and they can just focus on what their primary task is, which is preparing the team, picking the team, managing the team. So if I can just absolutely double-check, you wouldn't take Frank Lampard on an interim basis after last season? No, no. Now, I mean, obviously he did almost a very good job with Everton, had them on the right path, had them very much on the right fucking path for Sean Dyche coming and ruined everything. But no, um, who did I see Frank linked with, though? I saw Frank Lampard's name linked with some job the other day. He was, he was linked with an overseas job a couple of weeks back. I don't remember who it was, but it, but it wasn't Premier League. It was Leon. 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 That's right, Leon. Leon. <laughs> Just when Leon fans thought they'd hit rock bottom. Just when they thought it couldn't get worse. Here comes Frank. Do you know what would be great? It'd be the press conferences. Because you know he'd do the Joey Barton voice thing as well. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
Right. So uh, I'll give you a couple of uh, others who are out of work and you can very quickly yes, no them and give me a sentence. But a sentence reason, not your 24 minutes on each one. Graham Potter. No. I think when Potter goes, the next job Graham Potter takes, I think needs to be a step back, like more of a a West Ham type of level, you know, that mid-table type of job where he's not constantly in the spotlight. I don't think he coped well with the pressure of Chelsea and the pressure of Liverpool is is even greater than the pressure of Chelsea, especially replacing Klopp. Right. Antonio Conte. Yes, I would take Antonio Conte because he's a winner because he's one of the best managers in the world. And I think it would be a wise move, even if it was only for six or eight months. Julian Lopetegui. No, no, I'm completely off Lopetegui now because of how he treated Wolves. So I'd actually, it's irrelevant to me now how good of a manager he is. The fact that he waited till the eve of the season to quit, having known the circumstances all season. No, fuck him. Oliver Glasner. I really like Oliver Glasner. Actually, he's the guy who's going to get the German job. Um, I would take Oliver Glasner. I would as as a short term kind of, and even a you know, it's eight months, but prove it. If you do well, this this could be yours. I, I would I would take a chance. Yeah. Recently sacked Laurent Blanc. Not, not a fucking hope. Not if he wanted me as the assistant manager. Would I want Laurent Blanc? Sacked twice last season, Scott Parker. I mean, the banter would be fantastic. You'd have to run a book maybe on how many games, like what's the over-under on on games. I think he lasted 12 games with Club Bruges, which means he managed 16 games last season and got sacked twice, which is an absolutely remarkable uh, thing, but obviously no. Right, so I'm going to give you the one who I would love to see, just, just to see what happens. I would also probably do it with Liverpool just to see what happens but mostly I would like to do this with a different club so that my team doesn't bear the responsibility for it I would really like to see Zidane come in and just take charge of a a team for half a season or three quarters of a season and just see how that man management is because that was his big thing at Real Madrid obviously was the the coaching the man management side of things rather than anything uh, let's say to do with the running of the club, which is a little mm. bit where Liverpool's management is at the minute, obviously. So I would like to see Zidane, but more realistically, I think Jesse Marsh might be a, an interesting one, just for a, a, obviously a temporary to see out the the remainder of the season. And I'm also surprised you haven't picked Andre Villas-Boas, who I think is still out of work, unless I've missed him getting a job somewhere. I, I adore Andre Villas-Boas, and I had the the pleasure of sitting next to him on a flight once um, for six and a half hours. And he was incredibly nice and incredibly chatty, which you wouldn't know by watching his press conferences. And he basically broke down his Porto team for me. Um, This was after he'd been sacked by Chelsea before he took the Spurs job. Um, A very, very nice man. I think a very good coach. I don't think there's any chance he'll ever come back to England. The way he was treated by certain members of the media because he had the temerity to suggest to Chelsea that it was time to move on from certain older players. Um, now, in the end, he ended up ends up with a bit of egg on his face because they went on and won the Champions League after he'd been sacked. But at the same time, I, I do think he was right looking at the long-term future of the club that 
know, Terry, Lampard, Drogba, SCN, etc. needed to be moved on, that the culture needed to change, the dressing room was toxic. And and it's proven to be that. That's that's well known at this point. And the culture at Chelsea is still shit. Uh, many managers and even a different owner later, uh, because of what was ingrained in many of them from, you know, from the 2000s onwards, and then just carried on and carried on. Um, I don't think he'll ever come back to England, is the truth of it. I think I would go for either Ralph Hasenhutl or Jesse Marsh for, for half a season. Ralph Hasenhutl? Yeah. His teams are horrible defensively. Uh, can't I be having Ralph Hasenhutl. No, no, Hansi Flick. Give me Hansi Flick all day long. European yeah. Cup winning manager. Proven quantity. Give me Hansi Flick. Well, um, um, we're, we're, we're not going to talk about how his defences were organised in the final throws of his tenure in the international scene. But in any case... No, we won't. No, but the, yeah, the German team was us. a shit show. The German yeah, team was a stay with us anyway. So. Um, yeah. I, 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 look, I, I could see a scenario where Jürgen leaves in the summer to take the job after the Euros. But... I get the feeling they want to appoint someone now with a with a you know permanent mandate, and I think that's why it will be Oliver Glasner. Um, yeah, right. Do we have any other questions? Let's see. Uh, I had a question around the rumored new structure in terms of sporting CEO. What we yeah, we're, we're going to do that one from Sandeep another time because we're doing a whole sporting director. Um, Oh, it's right, it's right, it's right, it's right. That is, that's the last one of the ones we'll do today. Oh, we're going to do this one quickly. We're going to do this one quickly. So this one's from El Hixie. Not sure if you've done a similar list before, but here's eight of my favourite strikers. Rank them one through eight. So we've got Daniel Sturridge, Mario Gomez, Gabriel Batistuta, David Trezeguet, Radamel Falcao, Diego Forlan, David Villa and Robin Van Persie. There can be no doubt that Badastuda must be top. We rank them for their, their peak, yeah? Yeah. Right. Number eight. It's by a distance for me. Mario Gomez? Yeah. Yeah. Effective, but let's be honest, a bit limited in what he did. Yeah, agreed, agreed. A good goal scorer, but didn't offer a whole lot else. I, I would suggest then that if we go seven through one, or like for eight eight to one, I would suggest Diego Forlan is probably seven. Yep. yep. <clears throat> good player, very good goal scorer, but yeah. Uh, number six then, this is where it starts to get interesting. I think David Trezeguet is next on this list. Okay, I go for Sturridge before Trez. Okay. And I would have Sturridge next, so would you have Trezeguet next? Yeah. Okay. And my next one would be David Villa. Oh, so you would have Van Persie ahead of David Villa? Yeah. Oh, More all round to his game. Yeah, but I, I, I would still rather have David Villa's peak. But yeah, I can see it. 
Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. So I suppose the question... So to recap, you have from... Eight through four, you have Gomez, Forland, Sturridge, Trezeguet, Villa. And I have Gomez, Forland, Trezeguet, Sturridge, Van Persie. So I suppose the question for you then is Falcao or Van Persie, who would you rate higher? Falcao by a monstrous amount. If we're talking yeah. about the peak, it's just that yeah. Falcao's peak was pretty short. Was it though? I, 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 in terms I was of the looking at this yesterday. I was looking at this yesterday. So I saw someone try and claim that Van Persie had the better peak and more longevity in their career. Right? And then I looked up the numbers. So if you count Fa- Falcao from his first season with Porto, he had he was world-class for Porto for two years. Then he went to Atleti, he was world-class there. Then he went to Monaco and got injured. And he lost two years. But then he came back and had two unbelievably good seasons there. So I would say he had six seasons where he was absolutely among the very, very best in the world. Where if I look at Robin Van Persie, I just don't see six seasons. I see four seasons where he's great. The 08-09 season, then he's injured a lot the next season. Then he has two great seasons to end his Arsenal tenure. And then his first season with United is great. And then he falls off. I think Falcao had the better peak. I just think people look at it and don't take into account the fact that he missed a year with the ACL. And then there was that loan nonsense where he got sent on the two different loans. But he returned to peak form after that with Monaco. In goal scoring terms, he did, but I don't think he was quite the same player there. I mean, he was really important in, what, 16, 17 would it have been? The season Monaco won the league, I thought he was... Yeah, really important, really good, but I I don't know. And I also think Van Persie, when he went to Fenerbahce, was exceptional. Like, that first year... You're playing some mediocre, mediocre players over there. And Gangrop and Strasbourg were what exactly with Monaco? I would much rather play in the French league than the Turkish league if we're talking about quality of opposition. So would I, but I think... For Monaco to win a league title against a monstrous PSG team and him to be absolutely vital? Absolutely. Excellent. But I just think that there's dross in both of them, that's all. And I think I would take Falcao's best level as better than Van Persie by considerably in terms of what I would want for a forward, yeah. Right, so... 
My list is Badastuda, Falco, Villa, Van Persie, Sturridge, Trezeguet, Forlan, Gomez. Yours is Badastuda, Falco, Van Persie, Villa, Trezeguet, Sturridge, Forlan, and Gomez. Yeah. I thought you'd have David Villa higher. I was never a massive Villa fan, to be fair. Very good at what he did, but I like more all-round and more aggression. You know that. That is true. It's very hard to turn the nose up at those numbers, though. He that that Sarah Gossett through his five years of Valencia, and the first year at Barca, he was just he was a machine. But I I do see your point in terms of of all rounders. Um, Right, we will leave the questions there then. Uh, There is one from YNWA Foodie that we'll get to on the next one. Uh, It's about replacements for Virgil. So so we'll do that on the next one. Um, Right, we're going to talk about Europe then? We are. So, I think we should. Uh, I think we should start with the one which will give the the required minutes it deserves. So we'll we'll do three minutes on the Europa Conference League. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So all all the European competitions kick off this week. I, I have to be honest, Carl. If I look at the Europa Conference League, I I know teams will drop in out of the Europa League, but Lille. Besiktas, Villa, Fiorentina, Eintracht Frankfurt. If the winner isn't either one of those teams or someone that drops in out of Europa, I I would be stunned. There's a lot, and I do mean a lot, of dross in this competition. Do you think so, Dave? Should we we read out a select list of these fixtures forthcoming this week? (laughs) Are are you going to be tuning in to Switzerland's Lugano against Norway's Bodo Glimt? Or is Victoria Pilsen against Balkany going to be your favourite match? I was thinking more Ferenc Varos versus Kukuriki. I don't know who Kukuriki are or where they're from, but I know who Ferenc Varos are at least, so I've got my Hungarian knowledge on lock. Um, I think uh, Serbia's third favourite team. (laughs) <laughs> or third, third biggest a couple of seasons back. So, Ludogorets against Sport Spartak Ternava. The other thing I'll say is about this competition is there are an inordinate amount of teams whose names are simply letters, like just yes. just initials, and that's it. Yeah, there's one in particular. Um, they're a Norwegian team. They go by Ki. Norwegian. Blacks Vikar. Yeah, Faroese team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, outstanding. Magnificent. Right, that's the uh, Europa League. That's the Europa League taken care of. That's your in depth preview of that competition. (laughs) (laughs) Right, do you want to go Europa League next or Champions League next? Let's do Europa. Come on. Right, so uh, because it is an enormous competition with an enormous amount of. uh, of teams involved. Um, we have, let's, I think, 16. You can have Group A and I'll have Group B and you get a minute on each one. All right, perfect. Uh, do, decent or crap. 
Right, well, I'll start with Group A then. I think this is actually quite a decent group. West Ham have started the season really well. Olympiacos is always a horrible place to go and play because their fans are lunatics. They're a good team. They're, they've got some players that people will know. Um, even if you don't watch Greek football, some of these players will be players you'll know. They're always a, a tough out in Europe. Freiburg are one of my favourite clubs in all of Europe because they're so well run. They've had the same director of football and manager for well over a decade now. They work perfectly in synergy. They have built that club from the ground up, including building a new stadium. And they just always, always are competitive. So I really like Freiburg. Uh, back at Topola, I know absolutely nothing about, not even how to pronounce that name properly. So I, I just, I've no idea. But I think between the other three, I think West Ham and Freiburg are the likely two to, to go through, uh, which will drop Olympiacos into the Conference League. Uh, on to Group B, we've got here, I think, a really interesting group. Um, AK Athens, Ajax, Brighton and Marseille. So as a standout fixture, obviously, we're going to go eyeballs straight on Ajax v Brighton for stylistic things and, uh, you know, pure total football and all the rest of that sort of stuff. It should be a really, really good matchup. But actually, Marseille have put together a really interesting team as well. We spoke about them on the recent uh, European Transfer Windows podcast I really like the side that they have put or more accurately are putting together because there's still a bit of uh, you know finding out to be done because it was a really, really big window, lots and lots of changes. But you know, people like Ismail Asar are, are just unbelievable deals that they've got done. Um, him and Joaquin Correa, plus obviously Aubameyang and Vitinha and people like that there, they could be a really, really good one to watch go deep in this competition if they click early enough this season. Um, I don't really need to talk too much about Ajax and, and Brighton. Obviously, Ajax have lost a few of their better players over the last couple of years again, but they keep finding some others. So still lots and lots to look forward to there. Uh, a few younger players this season, like Joel Hatto coming through as well. Brian Broby should get a bit more involvement again, I think. So I, I just think that'll be a very fun group to watch. Yeah, I think that's probably the toughest group in the competition. So definitely looking forward to that. In Group C... We have the Rangers of Glasgow. We have Real Betis, Sparta Prague and Aris Limassol. Rangers and Real Betis will be the strong favourites to come out of that group. But Sparta could cause some problems. There's some decent players there. Don't know a whole lot about Aris Limassol. But uh, I think Michael Beale's tenure as Rangers manager might come to a screeching halt if they don't progress from that group. He's already under pressure as it is. Uh, in Group D, if Sporting and Atalanta don't get through, then you can have official confirmation. Nobody gives a shit about the Europa League group stage. Uh, their opponents are Stungratz from Austria and Rakov Cestova from Poland. Nothing to say on them. No, but the, the two Atalanta sporting matches should absolutely be, uh, be watched. They'll be good games of football. Uh, group E... Contains some group of chances called Liverpool, Lask, Union St. Gilles, who are obviously owned by Tony Bloom, and Toulouse. This is a group Liverpool should walk through. But Union always have some interesting players because their scouting model is the Brighton scouting model done by Star Lizard for them. Uh, Toulouse are always a good hub for young players. There's always at least one or two 
interesting young players at Toulouse. Uh, Lask, other than the fact that Oliver Glasner managed there for a couple of years and they're generally always finishing second in the Austrian Bundesliga, I don't know a whole lot about them. Uh, group F, we have Maccabi Haifa, Maccabi Haifa, Panathinaikos, Ren, and Villarreal. So it should be a pretty decent scrap between the the latter three. Um, Panathinaikos obviously can go either way. They seem to have good seasons or imploding seasons, sort of year on year. To be perfectly honest, um, they I think got knocked out by Braga in the qualifiers, but pretty close overall mm. uh, for that tie, if that's the one I'm thinking of. Red and Villarreal, obviously, we, we know from year after year in and around European football, pretty solid squads uh, all the way through. I think the the three-way head-to-head there between those matches are obviously the ones which are going to determine who goes through and who drops down into the other competition. But, I mean, the way they've started the season, Villarreal is not looking tremendous for them at the minute, so they, they do have a lot to sort out. Just on, on Villarreal, what's your thoughts on the new manager? What do I make of the new appointment? Uh, first of all, I haven't even seen it. You, you very kindly just edited out my last answer about Kike Setien. So if, you, if you're listening back to this podcast now, I've just been speaking for three minutes before David's told me he's been sacked because I didn't even see the news. So there you go. Um, Pacheta, I'll be honest, I, I, he's not been in charge of big clubs. He was at Bayer, the leader, obviously, for a while and did okay for a bit but you know not not great you know there was there was relegation involved there it wasn't astonishingly superb and he's been at much smaller clubs so Villarreal's thinking on this pass obviously there's there's some discussion that they've had with him which makes them think that he's the one to do the team building they want now they spoke to a couple of much bigger names Raul and uh, Julian Lopetegui but we will see it's a it's an interesting appointment at the very most I think as we can say about that Smells like a cheap appointment, if you're asking me. It smells um, like an expensive one, if you ask me. <laughs> um, right, we are on to Group G. Jose Mourinho and Roma, Slavia Prague, Sheriff Tiraspol, and Survey of Sweden. Um, if Roma, if Roma come out of this group with ending less than 15 points, Jose probably needs to be investigated for match fixing. Uh, could not have gotten a more favourable group, but obviously the travel aspect is a little bit rough having to, you know, a couple of, not long flights, but a couple of flights to uh, to the east where maybe you'd, you'd rather not. Um, yeah, Roma to, Roma to stroll through and then a battle for second and third. Pick your second finisher there. I, I'm just tempted to say Sheriff Tiraspol because they've they've done okay in Europe in recent years, including a win at the Bernabeu. Or was it the, was it the other stadium they were playing in? Either way, they won away to Real Madrid, which is one of the biggest upsets in a Champions League group stage game of all time. Um, so I'm going to pick Sheriff. Just, just while we're mentioning Sheriff and to go for a tangent, which we absolutely love on this show, obviously. Um, Sheriff obviously from Moldova. Well, whether or not that's obvious, that's where they're from. Um, Moldova, international scene, usually historically, famously, just lose everything all the time by loads and loads of goals. Right now, in the Euro 2024 qualifiers, had they have beaten Faroe Islands at home earlier on, they'd be joined top of their group. 
Yeah. A 1-1 draw at home to Pharaohs is stopping Moldova be top of their group. That is mental. It is. And, like, I was, I was looking at this the other day, and I don't know whether it's that... I mean, look, Albania, they have some really good players. The Czech Republic, it's obviously not as strong a Czech Republic team as, as we've seen in the past. But Poland are in the group as well, and there's some really good Polish players right now. And they currently sit third. But as you said, had they beaten the Faroe Islands, they would be top. And it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that, like, I don't know whether Moldova has have greatly improved, whether the Czechs and the Poles are just god-awful. I think it's probably a bit of both. But, like, they're leveling points with the Czechs. They're two points ahead of the Poles. The only point the Faroe Island have gotten... Faroe Islands have gotten is against Moldova and the only team who's beaten Moldova unless I'm mistaken is Albania I don't need a VPN I've got nothing to hide (laughs) this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com not only is my home internet now fully encrypted but I can now access all the websites I want whenever I want and do so from absolutely anywhere As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. I mean, it's a, it's a, the, the beat Poland 3-2 at home, which is like an enormous, mm. enormous result. Like, I, I don't know that they would have ever had a, a better result than that. But when I saw it, I, I had a look through the squad and there's not like, it's not like all their players have suddenly spread to massive leagues. Like, they've got one in Turkey with Boluspor, they've got uh, um, one in Netherlands, Johan Nicolescu, the forward, who plays for Heerenveen um, in the Eredivisie. But apart from that, it's mostly homegrown players or second tier in, like, really minor leagues. Like, one in Kapadiliv uh, for for Ukraine, but then you got, you know, Azerbaijan or Turkish second tier or Greek second tier, that kind of thing. So it's not like they've suddenly spread or called up all these players who are dual nationalities and playing in really good leagues or anything like that. It's it you would like to think some real progress of the team, of the national team, of maybe the organisation of them or whatever it is. Mm. It's certainly one that bears looking at into the next international window at the very least. And I mean, even just in this international break, they, they drew with Austria, who were a good team. And uh, then they, they did beat the Faroe Islands in the away game. Um, but like a, a draw with Austria is, is no mean feat. Now, it's not the full strength Austrian team, but still, a, it's still a good team. You've still got really good players there, like Kevin Danzo played, uh, Grilich played, Seval played, Conrad Lamer played. Grigorjic played like it's it's a fairly strong Austrian team and and uh, Moldova went there went ahead and 
to be fair, Austria had to work hard to get back into it by the looks of things. So, yeah, I, I think it's really, really impressive. And I don't know, um, don't know anything at all about this manager, uh, Sergei Kostchenko, I think is his name, uh, former player, 69 caps, bit of a journeyman manager, kind of, sort of, but had never really had a, a senior job bar a short spell with the Moldovan team in 2013. He'd always been an assistant or caretaker. Did manage as caretaker uh, Uneo Liria, which I think is the club that Jose Mourinho made his kind of first steps with as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, he seems to really have gotten a tune out of this team and in 18 games since taking over, seven seven wins and four draws. I can't imagine there's been many spells in the history of Moldovan, the Moldovan national team where from an 18-game run, they've won seven and, and drawn four. Really, really impressive. Um, we saw a few years back, Pakistan made really good strides. Obviously, Iceland in, in mm. Europe made massive strides compared to where they came from. So maybe Moldova, the next story. It's um, fun as well. I mean, North Macedonia is another one like that's done it in recent years. They obviously had one or two sort of well-known players. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's fun. Yeah, it's good to see. To be honest, I suppose UEFA will point to Nations League probably having a massive hand in this. Of course. Uh, anyway, back to Europa League final group stage is Group H. Bayer Leverkusen, uh, Molde from Norway, Hacken of Sweden, and Karabakh from Azerbaijan. Uh, kind of similar to Roma, you would think that Leverkusen should stroll through it, but Karabag have a pretty good um, recent history in terms of at least being difficult to beat and, and doing all right in European competitions. So might not be quite so straightforward for them, especially depends on how much emphasis they put on uh, Bundesliga versus the Europa League. But top two, you definitely think that they get through. Yeah, yeah, for certain. And that is our Europa League. Let's do have, Champions League. Then. Outside of Liverpool, a favourite from all those teams who should go the distance? Oh, let's have a quick gander again. Um, Roma must I be there just because of Jose and his ability. Jose and the easy group. So, yeah, Roma would be in the inner circle. Leverkusen, I mean... Xabi really does have them playing well. I don't know whether they've got the depth, but they've got a really talented group of defenders, a strong group of midfielders, and there's definitely goals in the team. Mm. Uh, so Leverkusen will be in there. Um, I think Sporting will be a tough out for anybody. Atalanta with their newly put-together front line, potentially one of those two. And then Marseille... <sighs> Group B is is the toughest. Like, you've got three teams there in Ajax, Marseille, and Brighton who I could see getting to... I could see any of them getting to the semi-final or even the final. So I I would say those three, you've got to give West Ham a bit of respect considering they won a European trophy last year, but I don't think they'll go the distance this year. I, I think there is. I think there's probably seven teams. Leverkusen, Roma, Liverpool... Atalanta Sporting. Be sure there's nine. Ajax, Marseille, Brighton, and West Ham. I could see any of them outside of Liverpool, any of the other eight, getting to the semi-final or final, or, or you know, even winning it if they 
if the draw broke right and if Liverpool got knocked out and they didn't have to deal with us, I, I could see them going on to win it. They, like It is a strong competition this year. And the, obviously there'll be some decent drop-in from the Champions League as well. Yep. So straight on to that, I'll take A's on this one and you can go after um, oh. Group A, it's Bayern Munich, Copenhagen, Galatasaray, Man United. Uh, I'm going to skip over this one quite a lot because we did speak about this uh, on, I'm not sure if it was the European transfer pods where we spoke about Galatasaray, but basically Man United and Bayern Munich look like the two who should go through, but Galatasaray have put together a very, very strong side. And I think both you and I have actually tipped them to sneak through here in second and knock out United? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I do think so. Because the thing with them is they have this amazing home advantage because their stadium is just like an inferno. And the atmosphere really does rattle teams. And teams that are mentally weak, which I believe United are, I think will struggle there. And United have injuries and and other issues going on. I, I think Galatasaray will sneak through in second. I think for Galatasaray, their most important match might be Copenhagen away because I could see yeah. one of their home games still being only a draw, maybe even a defeat. Maybe it's Bayern, maybe it's United, who knows? But I think that they will possibly have to go to Denmark and win. Yeah, and if they can go to Denmark and win, beat Copenhagen at home and then beat United at home, that's nine points. Yeah. That'll get them close. Yeah, because United won't win all the games that they should, let's say. No. They just won't. They just won't because they're Man United. And, you know, Ollie Ten Hag doesn't really have much of an idea. Ollie Seven Hag, I saw him called the other day, or Eric Seven Hag, but the, the style of football is Ollie Ball. So, um, yeah, anyway, on to, group, on to Group B, which is the most Europa League group I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Literally, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, I think this group is, is a mistake. This is a Europa League group all day long. It's Sevilla. It's Arsenal, it's PSV Eindhoven, and it's Lens. This aesthetically will be a, a good group to watch the games. The, the games themselves will be fun. I think I speak for all fans of Europa League sides when I say I really hope Sevilla finish in the top two and don't drop into the Europa League because, you know, they'll otherwise they'll win it. Contractually obliged to win it. I think Arsenal and Sevilla should should qualify. Now, Sevilla are not great but I think there's weaknesses in that PSV team and Lens they've like Lens have sold a couple of really important players and they lost Seiko Fafana in the summer and I'm just and they lost uh, Obenda as, Openda as well now I know they got um, El Yawahi and a couple of others but I still think it's maybe a season early for them I'm going to go Arsenal to top the group and Sevilla second I mean, Sevilla in Europe do tend to be pretty different prospects, but so far they're bottom of La Liga. They haven't got a point. Mm. They have played a game fewer than most of the rest of the teams, but still three games, three defeats, including at home to Girona. Rubbish so far. Absolute garbage. So I will go with... I, I don't really like this PSV side, but they have still kept a couple of players who are really important, to be fair. Um, so I'll go with them to sneak seconds if, let's say... I'd pick your, your favourite player is Bakayoko. That's yeah. It has a massive, massive impact. He's got to basically hit top form for them and, and make them win a couple of those really important head-to-heads. But yeah, if they start well, I think they could do it. I'm uh, guessing Jose Luis Mandelabar won't get to uh, revel in his joy having won the Europa League last season for much longer. I, I would imagine he might be next manager sacked 
in La Liga if uh, if Sevilla don't turn things around fairly rapidly. Very, very rapidly, I'd imagine. Um, I think they're not anyone good in the next couple of games, so maybe he's he's got a bit of a chance to turn it around. Group C is Real Madrid, Union Berlin, Napoli and Braga. Um, so pretty big in terms of the leagues that they come from, Germany, Spain, Italy, Portugal. So there's no, you know, shouldn't be his in this sort of group. But where those clubs are is pretty interesting. Like Braga might not be looked at as as obviously one of the the best teams but their winning run is just unbelievable and the I don't want to go over the top because sometimes we look at the teams who are playing obviously in the Primera and even when they're on really really good runs of form then they play one of the the better teams from around Europe and they do still get absolutely hammered but they had themselves a really really good season last year um finishing third but on on again some of the teams that they the performances they put in against the top teams I thought were really really good um not sure about the squad overall to go through but I just think that they're one of the ones who you would go up against them you expect to win and they take points off you and that's going to affect who goes through rather than them going through themselves Union Berlin we've spoken about quite a lot but first season in Champions League can do not damage to teams but it can be really tough to 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 live with the expectation of what you need to do. So I'll go with Real Madrid and Napoli to go through, which sounds really obvious. I just don't think it'll be in an obvious way. Are there two teams with more conflicting histories and, you know, outlooks in any group anywhere than Real Madrid and Union Berlin? I, they, they just couldn't be any more fundamentally opposed if they tried. Um, what I think it's a great group, I really do, and I, I agree with you when you when you say that you know first season of the Champions League is is always going to be tough. But what what a great group to get for your first crack at it. Like you said, Braga they've they're on a really good run. They're a good team under under Arthur, Arthur George. To get Real Madrid and Napoli like that's. Those players have got to be on cloud nine. That club have got to be on cloud nine to have gotten that draw because, you know, they toiled and toiled and toiled for decades. Finally get themselves into the Bundesliga. It's been continual growth, sustained growth. And now it culminates with this. They get the opportunity to play Real Madrid, to play the defending Serie A champions. This is a, a great moment in the history of that club. So... Even though I wouldn't fancy them to go through, I think I think third is definitely a possibility. Um, but yeah, I think it's great for them. Uh, group D is a group I really like. It is Benfica, Inter Milan, Red Bull Salzburg and Real Sociedad. Now, I, I like what Sociedad did in the summer, but I think Benfica and Inter both got weaker overall because of some of the departures. Uh, Salzburg are just always interesting because you're always watching them to see who are the next big stars coming out of there. And they had a number of departures this summer, but managed to keep hold of three or four who I think people will be really excited by in 12 months. Three or four that I wouldn't be surprised if were being linked with them in 12 months' time. Uh, by contrast, that is not a group that I'm going to be watching very much of, so I will leave that one to you. Group E, Atletico Madrid, Celtic, Feyenoord and Lazio, which 
I'm not sure if this one feels Europa League or if it feels Champions League 97, 9080, one of those two. Um, it feels like a, a group I might have been involved in on an old championship manager game. That's the truth of the matter. And as such, it would be Lazio and Atletico Madrid who go through. Um, I suspect it won't be this time. Atletico, I reckon maybe we see Feyenoord sneak through ahead of Lazio just because Lazio have this incredible ability to implode at moments when they really, really shouldn't. Mm. For sure. And they also lost their best player in the summer. Now, they did they did make some good signings, but the loss of Milinkovic-Savage will be huge. Feyenoord lost a couple of important players, but I think they kept hold of the majority of their team kept hold of their manager, which was very important for them. I agree. I think Atleti and Feyenoord could be the two that sneak through. And I think it's another season of European embarrassment for Brendan coming up. Um, Group F, this is the one that had a big reaction. And we disagree with the general consensus on this. Uh, It's PSG, Dortmund, Milan and Newcastle. I think we're both in agreement, or we were certainly the last time we spoke of it, that Newcastle can very well qualify from this group and could even win it if, if PSG aren't you know, fully in sync straight away. But I've got PSG and Newcastle getting through. I think Dortmund will finish bottom. I don't think they're a very good team. And I like what Milan did in the summer. But I still think Newcastle are stronger than them overall. Yeah, I think Newcastle are a good level or two above both Milan and Dortmund. The only thing you would say is, obviously, it's not been a great start to the season for them. And although group stage of Champions League does usually see, because of the nature of the group stage, the the, the cream, if you like, rise to the top of these quartets, it, it can get away from you quite quickly if you have a bad start. Like, and you know, away to Milan some of these players are going to be playing in that kind of a ground, that kind of an atmosphere, that kind of an expectation level of match for the first time. Not all of them, because they've obviously recruited quite well in that regard. But for some of them, it will be. So I think as long as they avoid defeat in that first game, they'll go on and sort of grow from that point. So I'd still say PSG top, Newcastle second. Um, I could see Dortmund or Milan going either way, to be honest. I can see Dortmund getting third, because just because they have enough... I'm going to say attacking alternatives rather than real quality and depth. But I just think that they've got so many players who can be good and can be completely cold on their day. Marlon and still at this point, Metcher and Julian Brand, certainly. Uh, They're players who can play well and win you a game. They're also players who can be fairly anonymous for three matches in a row. Yeah, yeah, without question. Um, Right, you're on Group G then. Yeah, I'm on Group G. Uh, I mean, you mentioned someone earlier in on who could get 15 points. Uh, I'll be honest, if Man City don't take 16 points from these six matches, they should feel disappointed. Uh, what is this? Man City, Red Star, Young Boys and Leipzig. This is Man City in a, in a Europa Conference League group. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, OK. The Leipzig <laughs> games should give them a bit of a game. But other than that, they've got four pre-season friendlies here yeah. uh, and a couple of qualifiers at best. Great opportunity to play some of the kids. I mean, I don't even care. Come on, on we go. Leipzig are going through with them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, there's, there's no point. Uh, group H then, uh, again, not the best. It's Barcelona, it's Porto, it's Shakhtar Donetsk, and it's Antwerp. Now, 
Antwerp have a couple of really interesting players and it's great for them that they're in the Champions League. Shakhtar 10 years ago would have been a very difficult thing, but they no longer have their home pitch advantage. They're having to play their games, I believe, in Poland, maybe Germany. I'm not really sure. Plus, all of their best players have left because of the war. Um, Barca and Porto should piss through this group. And not well, let's add. No, because there's big flaws in both teams. Um, though uh, there's a lot of talent in that Barcelona team, and I am quite excited to see how it develops. I, I just... Uh, they leave me cold. Like, uh, the, there's just... The there's flaws, a couple of missing for sure. They're yeah. Not, they're not, not as good as winning La Liga suggests last season. No, like, no definitely. Very good, and their build-up leaves a lot to be desired still. Which is yeah. bizarre. Because, like, I can see why the defense is really good. They can put together Terstegen, Kunde, Arejo, Christensen, and, and Balde, which is, you know, both very good and has enormous potential for the future. Mm. I don't know how the build up play is so bad. You've got Frankie Dion, you've got Pedri, you've got Gavi, you've got Rafinha. I, I don't really understand why they're so bad in their build up play. It's pretty slow. It's pretty reactive. I think still quite a, quite a bit needed there. And there still does appear to be a few, let's say, favourites being picked when form suggests they maybe should be taken out of the team. That's that's an ongoing theme, I think, there as well still. What do you think of Xavi as a manager? I mean, there's always the two sides, isn't there? The man management seems okay for the most part in terms of what the players say. But I do think that the decisions, the approach, the refusal to change away from certain ideals just means that the team's not going to progress as quickly as it could do. I, I I think it's important that managers have their own identity and how they play and how they set up and all the rest of it. But ultimately, that has to win games. And when it isn't in each individual match, you should have alternative ways of doing things. And I don't see huge evidence from Xavi that he's willing to change that. He just wants to keep improving the way that he does it. And I, I, mm. I'm, I'm not always on board with that, to be perfectly honest. No, no, he's another one, obviously, from the Guardiola tree as well. So we're just, it's another carbon copy, really, of what Pep used to do. And we'll probably evolve into what Pep does now as he moves along as, you know, progression and gets his badges. Because I, I assume, you know, it's like the Boy Scouts with, with Arteta and uh, Xavi and company and Maraska and all these people, like, and, you know, every so often they've got to go back. To, they've got to go and have a secret conference with City where he Pep asks them 10 questions. And if they get the questions right, he gives them the next booklet and then they can learn the next part of his, his tactical plan. Um, and the thing is, like, Barca will probably win La Liga again this year because Real have no no, no number nine and Kepa is their goalkeeper. Um, and people will then look at it and go, well, Xavi won back-to-back La Liga titles. He must be a great manager. But uh, this is a very weak La Liga, like a very, very weak La Liga. And I, I, I just don't there's – there's a lot of good teams, but there's no standout great team. And I, I would love nothing more than Atleti to get their shit together this year because I think they actually could spoil the party. Um, I know Real have won four of four, but – I, I think the lack of a number nine and Kepa will eventually catch up with them. It's not like they've played particularly good teams either. Uh, Athletic Club de Bilbao is probably the only team that will finish in the top half that they've played. 
But um, yeah, anyway, right. So we're in agreement there. It'll be Barca and Porto. It's not a Champions League, Carl, that I'm overly enthused about, if I'm honest, because I see one team that stands above the rest in City and the only team I look at who I think could cause them real issues is PSG because I think there's Bayern's lack of a holding midfielder is major. They've also got little to no real depth in that right-back spot. If, if they have an injury or two, they could be in major trouble. I don't see anyone in Group B that can trouble them. Um, Napoli got worse over the summer. I think Real... I wouldn't say they got worse because they all added Jude, but they they lost Courtois to injury, and that's massive. I don't think either of them will trouble them. No one from Group yeah. D... I agree. It's 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 not a, a peak Champions League, and maybe if we're being honest, part of that is because Liverpool aren't involved, so our interest is not quite at the level it would be anyway. Right. But also, I do think it speaks to the fact that we are about to hit a refresh on the Champions League, have a different group stage next season, and all the rest of it. I had forgotten about that. That's that big it's- group thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely one to delve into later on in the group stage, I think, maybe see how this group stage is going and then look at how we think that that will compare, whether we'll be losing anything of what we do get from matches, let's say, four, five, six. Right, last thing before we wrap up. Which teams finish third in each group? So Group A, we've got United. Group B, do we have Sevilla or Lens? Um... Judging by the starts of both teams, Sevilla, because Lons have also only got one point from four games. So overall, getting a bit better, I'll stick with Sevilla. Right. Group C, Braga or Berlin? Union. Group D. Um, we didn't say who we thought was going through. I think I think Real Sociedad will get through out of this group. Sociedad and Inter to go through. So Benfica second, I would just about pick. Okay. So Benfica to drop into the Europa? Yeah. Okay, we've got Lazio then to drop in out of Group E. We said either Dortmund or Milan. It doesn't really matter who. They're both you know, similar enough. Uh, Young Boys or Red Star is irrelevant, as is Shakhtar and Antwerp. So of those teams dropping in, mm-hmm. would any of them concern you if Liverpool got them in a Europa League game? Uh, for the away tie, if you catch Milan or Dortmund, obviously on a good night, then yeah, they could be very, very difficult to play against. Same probably goes for Lazio, but over two legs, they absolutely wouldn't concern me in the slightest. Hmm. Benfica, they wouldn't over two legs. Union Berlin would make life difficult for us, for sure. But again, you would expect Liverpool over two legs to have the quality. Yeah, I agree. Right, we will leave it there then. We will be back next week with a preview of Lask. So we have a couple of days to learn about Lask. And then, obviously, there'll be a Premier League one as well. So, uh, is there anything you want to plug? Well, this is coming out on Sunday, I assume. So, what will you have done over the weekend that people should be aware of? I will have gone to see some family and spoken to them and probably drank about 25 cups of tea. That's what people should be aware of. There you go. There you go. The man doesn't do any work. Uh, We will see you all next week. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. 
and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.